right, everybody, how's everybody doing today, huh? Did we all slip and slide our way to church? Come on, come on. You got to like it. You got to like it. It's, we live in Nebraska. That's life, right? Hey, my name is Jeff. Glad to be here with you guys. I want to say a big hello to everybody worshiping with us at one of our campuses, whether that's in person or that's online. We are one church right now in many, many, many locations, especially on a day like today, uh, probably hundreds of locations when you've got everybody worshiping with us online. So we're excited to be able to provide that kind of technology. We're excited that we have a, a, a wonderful campus of people at uh, North Platte and at Ogallala. A little side note, because you guys don't get these kind of numbers. Last week at North Platte, we had record attendance, bigger attendance last Sunday than we've had on any Christmas or Easter ever. Um, God's doing great stuff out there. Yeah. So, and this is what I've learned about North Platte. They just stopped clapping now. So, that's, that's the deal. And if I was anywhere close to that, send me a text and let me know if I was close, okay? So we love you guys. We're excited about you. Uh, look, we're in a series right now that we entitled Mandates. And it really kind of came out of the idea that we're living, um, we live in a country of laws, okay? And I thank the Lord that we live in a country of laws. Uh, we live in a country that has a, a judicial system. I'm thankful to the Lord for that. We live in a time right now that there are extra mandates that are being put on us. And I thought, you know what, in light of the fact that we're maybe more sensitive to mandates, uh, then let's dig into the mandates that really matter, okay? The mandates of God that sustain life. Let's look at those things. Let's go through God's word. And so uh, we're going to be in this series for, um, for a few weeks, okay? Uh, it's going to be a few weeks. It's not going to get over anytime soon. Uh, we're going to have to cut it off because the Bible's full of more mandates that we aren't going to have the time to be able to go to. Uh, but we started out week one talking about the creation mandate. Well, last week we talked about servant leadership mandate, but we also talked about that in the light of that, what does that look like when it comes to, you know, the authority above us? What does God's word say about that? Um, and that was, a, uh, that was a powerful time together. And I thank you for hearing that message and coming back because it was a, it was a heavier message. And some of you probably wrestled with some of those things in that message. And I want to say thank you for doing that. Remember, our response to God when we don't like what he's saying is not to push back and just to walk away and go, well, forget that guy, forget that, forget that God, right? Or forget that church. It's to, it's to wrestle with it. It's to wrap your arms around it. Don't push away from hard scripture, right? Don't just try to, you know, walk through Christianity on the easy road, a little gold path. You know, dig into the hard stuff, but wrestle with it. Get your arms around and go, I'm going to stick with this passage of Scripture, or I'm going to stick with this sermon until I really get it, um, instead of just pushing away. We live in a culture where people are just like, it's a throwaway culture. You don't like it, you just throw it away and you go do something else. And I'm just going to tell you guys, you can't do that with God, okay? You can do that with a candy bar, but you can't do that with God. And I would never equate those things Anywhere close to being the same in, in this world we live in, we get offended, so we stiff arm it, we walk away from God. Now, in this series, in this series, there's going to be scripture that offends you. So wrestle with it. Wrap your arms around it. Dig into it. Go, I'm going to learn what this really means because, you know, possibly I'm interpreting it wrong. Seek out another believer. Seek out God's word and dig into it. Today, we're going to be looking at a passage of scripture found in, in Micah. It's a small book in the Old Testament 
And we're going to be looking at the mandate God gave his people who were sinful, and we're trying to figure, figure out what is it that God requires to please him. And so God comes back and he says to them basically these three things, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. That's kind of where we're at today. I, I do want to highlight the fact that God's mandates are not to restrict us from fun and from pleasure. But God's mandates are to create a healthy parameter for us so that we can, we can live a life-giving life before God. Uh, it's, it's so in, in such a way that God's mandates, they help us to be both physically, emotionally, and mentally healthy. And when we don't understand God's mandates, then we can get really warped in our mind of what is it that God really is looking for. We can get warped in how we're going to live out our life. And that's what we find in Micah as we start getting um, into this passage. Look at the people because they don't understand the mandates or what God requires. Look at what they think pleases God. But what can we do? What, what can we bring to the Lord? Should we bring him burnt offerings? Should we bow before God most high with offerings of yearling calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? Notice there. Three layers of progressive, you know, increase of a works kind of a mentality, attempting to please God. First, it's burnt offerings. They could easily do that. Then it's burnt offerings that they, could, they don't have and they can't afford, right? They don't even have it. Then it's to the audacious ridiculous of should we even sacrifice our children to God? That's what happens when you have a works mentality of trying to please God. Works creates this trap where we try to do the quick please to God instead of the surrendered life that God looks for. Because a work to God, right, a work to try to please God is something that can happen, it can happen quickly, and then it's over, and then you get on with doing whatever you want to do. Where a surrendered life before God is a 24-7 lifestyle assignment. See, God isn't impressed with what you can do for him. God's impressed with how committed in surrender you are before him. So what does God do? How does God respond to these crazy people who think they know what God requires, but they're totally off base? What does God say to them? The very next verse, this is our theme verse for today. God says, no, that's not what I'm looking for at all, people. Right? That's just my paraphrase of how God was speaking. He says, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you. Right? Read the rest of it with me. To do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. This is what the Lord requires. God gives three responses back to the people who had three thoughts of the works that it was going to take to please God. I, I love the fact that they have three things, and God gives them back three things. But God doesn't just come back with works. God goes straight to the heart, guys. He didn't go straight to what their hands could do. He didn't go straight to what their mind could do, right, or what their back could do. God goes to their heart. He goes there first. Because if God doesn't own your heart, then your works and everything else that you do are just worthless in trying to please him. I'm convinced that still today there are people who are attending church, maybe even some of you today, and you're attending church this Sunday with the attitude of I'm trying to please God and that's wonderful and great, but if God doesn't own the other six days of the week, guys, then this one day, what you're trying to do isn't accomplishing what you think it's accomplishing. 
However, if God owns the 24-7 lifestyle of surrender before him, then the things that we do for him can become powerful and even mighty. God designed you for a purpose. So he has things that he wants you to do. There is works that he has for you to do. But God's first and foremost most interested in are you living a surrendered life to him before your purpose ever gives worship to him. God gave you talents, and God wants to receive worship through your talents. And each of you have a different giftings and different talents. But if less God owns your heart 24-7, your talents, they never bring him worship. But that's where God wants us to be. And that's why God responded back to these people who were thinking about all these crazy thoughts of what God mandated to please him. And that's why God came back in Micah 6-8 with that mandate, because God's looking at the heart. How do I get their heart? So let's look at the very first one about how God wants to get our heart. First, God said to them, do what is right. Oh, if it was just that easy. Do what is right. Other versions of the Bible uh, that you might have say, act justly. Okay? The first part of this mandate that God gives us, I want you to notice this. Do what is right is an outward focus. Okay, it's not inward. It's really outward God says, look, do what is right in the way that you love and you treat one another. Okay, I mean, I, wouldn't it be nice if we had a switch inside of our heart that we could just flip the switch and it would be like, it would be this, like, I'm going to be rebellious or I'm going to do what is right. Okay? And some of you need to flip that switch to I'm going to do what is right. All right? And you know who you are. All right. So... But what if we had that switch? What if it was just that way? What if it was like a hardwired switch? You open up the box, you flip the switch, you close the box, and you're like, that's who I'm going to be. I'm going to do what is right. Wouldn't it be awesome? Wouldn't it be? Like, wouldn't we, like flip a switch, no longer what your thoughts are. You're just like, you just do it. You have instant integrity. You have perfect motives, impeccable character. You treat everyone the way you want to be treated, wouldn't that be awesome? It would be, except for God didn't create us with that switch. I know you were like, oh, man, where do I go? Is there a class I go to? I get hardwired at this church someplace? You know, God didn't give us that switch because God designed us to forever be tested in this area, knowing that we aren't going to be perfect. See, God wasn't looking for our perfection. God was looking for the commitment of our heart. Does your heart want to do what is right? When you stumble and when you fall in sin and you fall flat on your face and you bruise yourself and you hurt others, you know what God's looking for? God's looking for, does the heart want to do what is right? Will you get yourself back up? Will you repent? Will you ask for forgiveness? Will you get back up and keep running for God? And so often, it's like the enemy beats us up when we're down and we don't pick ourselves up quick enough. You got to do the old school football drill, the up-downs. I mean, whatever those things were called, you know, throw up, uh, whatever it was. Um, you know, you're just like, you're down and you're up and you're down and you're up and you're down and you're up. I mean, that's the way we ought to be. We're going to sin. What does the heart say? Who's the, what is the heart saying about you? What are you going to be known before God as when it comes to your heart? Let's have a heart that wants to do what is good. But instead, our heart tends to go to revenge and payback. We're like, someone did us wrong, and I want justice, and I want justice right now. 
And I mean, look, don't get me wrong. We have a judicial system for a reason. And when people break the law, then there is a, a recourse that can be used when the law is broken, right? And I don't, think that, I, I don't think that any of us should necessarily be opposed to the fact that there is a justice system and, you know, people have to be held accountable when they break a law. But in everyday, normal living, offenses are going to occur, and God hasn't given you the license to render justice. But God has called you to act justly or to do what is right. And in this world in which we live in, don't be fooled by this fact, right, that there is an absolute truth. I know that, I know that you see this in our media. I know that you hear this at the street corners. I know that you hear this at the coffee shops, that there is a truth for me and there's a separate truth for you. But I'm here to tell you today as your friend and as your pastor that there is a absolute truth and it's found in God's word and God's word alone. Amen. All right? Now, I know that this statement flies in the face of our modern society. I got that, all right? I understand it. But we live in a time when, you know, right is called wrong and wrong is called right. And the Bible even tells us that that would happen in these days in which we live in. And that people, people would hate what is good. Don't we live in a time like that right now? Guys, to do what is good is difficult. It's difficult by itself. But then say to do what is good is not only difficult, but you also have to do what is good even when it's wrong in the eyes of society, even when it flies in the face of our society. When you're calling what's right, right, and they're calling what's right, wrong, it's going to be a difficult life. And God didn't call us to this comfortable living where everybody thinks the same as you. God called us to a very difficult life where people are going to think differently, where people are going to have different unbiblical, ungodly opinions, and you don't get to write them off because they have a different opinion than you. We have to love them, but we have to maintain doing what is right in a way that loves people to Jesus, not the opposite way. The church right now is in a bad position because we've been telling people what we're against and we haven't been opening our arms up to them to love them, to teach them what we're for. That's a bad, bad place to be. If you call yourself a Christ follower, don't get into that rut. But also watch, be warnful, be careful. Don't allow God's truth to be diluted by man's so-called truth. Be careful of that because people are watching you. People are watching your actions. People are watching the way you behave. You might think to yourself, well, I'm no leader. No one's watching me. No, everyone is being watched by somebody. And they're watching for you to stand up for truth. And it might just change their trajectory in life. So God starts the mandate of the heart by just doing what is right. Then he, got, and he turns it and he says, and I want you to love mercy. I want you to notice the statement about loving mercy this mandate isn't be merciful. It's not the act of mercy. It's the heart of loving mercy. There's a lot of people that have to do an act of mercy, and they don't even like it. In fact, they hate it. But God's not asking us for the act. He's asking us first and foremost, will you love mercy? 
Mercy is what? It's like basically showing acts of kindness and acts of compassion to people, even to those that you may not agree with, even to those who may rub you wrong. But God mandated that we would love to show, watch that, love to show kindness and compassion just like he does. Do you guys realize that we, we serve a merciful God? That's what Jesus said about his own father in Luke chapter 6. He said these words, be merciful even as your father is merciful. When was Jesus giving this scripture, by the way? When he was talking about what it looks like to love your enemy. He was teaching you and me how to love our enemy. And then he says, oh, by the way, it's exactly what the father does. He's merciful, and he's even merciful towards those who are far from him. So showing kindness and compassion, guys, is many times easier when you're doing it with people that they, they look like you, they speak the same language as you, right? They maintain a similar lifestyle, a similar belief as you. They, they live in a similar culture as you. That's really easy. But loving, loving mercy demands that we strip away all of those barriers and we love and we show mercy and we show kindness and we show compassion and that we would love to show kindness and compassion to people that are radically different than us. And that's what God mandated for every single believer, that not only would we do it, but we would love it. Again, what's one of the hangups of the church? We do acts of kindness and compassion because we think that's what is required of us. God's not... God's not impressed with our acts of kindness and compassion unless first we love to show kindness and compassion. Huge delineation. I hope you picked it up. There's a big difference there. In fact, God would rather you love to show kindness and compassion and then in all of your life on this earth show one practical application of it than to be the person that does a hundred applications of kindness and compassion, but never really truly love it. See, God's more interested in the heart. Do you actually love kindness? Do you love compassion, especially in the light of mercy when, it is when it's kind of portrayed even to people that might be your enemies? How do you, how do you really become a person that loves, loves mercy? One of the ways you could do that is just expand your love of mercy through being a kingdom builder. We're going to talk about next week the mandate of generosity. So look, as your pastor, here's what I'm going to tell you. We're talking about loving generosity next week. If that's not where you want to go, then don't come. I'm going to do it regardless. I would encourage you to be here. Because our hearts need to love mercy. Generosity is a muscle. It's an exercise that helps us to love mercy. Next time we're able to go on a global outreach trip, sign up and go on a global outreach trip. Not so that you can go prove to everybody else how godly you are, but so that you can go with the heart that says this, God, would you teach me to love mercy on this trip? And you know what I've discovered when people go on global outreach trips all the time? And anybody that's ever led one from this church, they can say this as well. That when we're getting ready for that trip and we're meeting in living rooms and we're preparing for it, people are all jacked up on what they're going to do for God. 
I mean, they are just excited. This is what we're going to do for God. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. I can't, I can't wait. We're going to get over there. It's going to be powerful. And, oh, man, can't wait. And then the debrief on the back end of the global outreach trip is, I can't believe how much God did in me. How much God did in me. What's God doing when you go on a global outreach trip? What, what is God doing when you're exercising generosity? He's digging the well of your heart to love mercy. Because that's what he wants more than anything. He wants you to love mercy. Those are a couple of thoughts for you. Lastly, God said this in his mandate. Hey guys, walk humbly with your God. And again, notice. Notice when he says, walk humbly with your God. Right? It's not to be humble. Totally different. It's not just be humble. God's asking us to walk it out. So we don't come here today and worship God out of some kind of arrogance of what we can do for him. No, we come here today and we admit our weakness and our dependency upon him. Amen? But in today's culture, humility is seen as a weakness, not as the strength that God talks about it as. In fact, in our society, our society embraces and even promotes be bold, be egotistical, be controversial, and the more you are these things, it seems like the more that people want to follow you in our culture today. It seems like that's what gets promoted today. People that are prideful, arrogant, egotistical, controversial. It's like there are magnets. They're getting the most followers on social media. Most people are watching their YouTube videos. More people are watching even their sermons. God told us about that. He said, look, the time in which you and me live in, he said, this is the way the hearts of people will be. He said, for people will love only themselves and their money. That's not humble. They'll be boastful and proud. It's not humble. Scoffing at God, disobedient to the parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. It's not humble. They'll be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They'll be cruel and they'll hate what is good. Definitely not humble. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. All throughout that scripture, God says, this is the way the mindset of people is now and will only increase. And we see this, we see this attitude everywhere. We see this attitude in our politicians. We see this you know, being lived out in our movie stars, in business, and in all leadership, no matter what industry it is, including the church. We even see this living out on our college campuses. People aren't walking humbly before their God. They're walking boldly, arrogant, egotistical, controversial lives. And they think that that's what's getting them success. They think that that's what's getting them the popularity and the whole time we're being duped because God's mandate is just the opposite of what's happening in this world today. God mandates us to walk humbly before him. Walking humbly before God, it starts with him. It's vertical before it ever spills out horizontally. How can we walk humbly before God? A couple of thoughts that could even be practiced this morning. When we come to God, how about we do this? We constantly admit our need for him. 
See, our first response when we come to God is to tell him what we need of him. What if we were to flip that on its head and our first response to God was confessing how much we need him? I mean, I need him like, need, oh, he needs you in my finances or I need you in my health. I'm talking about, I just need you because if I don't have you, I'm nothing. How do I show love if I haven't first received your love? How do I show forgiveness if I haven't first received your forgiveness? How do I keep my pride, arrogance, and ego down? I keep it down by coming to him and admitting that I need him. He is big, I am little. How about we do this? How about we seek his guidance on decisions instead of just making decisions? I know we can make decisions. I know God's given us wisdom. I know that. I trust that. I preach that. But I, but I believe more than that, I believe that we're supposed to come to God and ask for his direction in making decisions, even if you think you got it all figured out. And if nothing else, how about we come to him and we say, God, I think that this is the right thing to do, but as I walk out this decision, if there is any time in this moment, in this decision where you want to alter the course, you've got carte blanche authority to do that. I'm here listening. I'm walking gently, right, in faith, but I'm listening. That would increase walking humbly before our God. How about if we take more time to listen to God? In prayer. When was the last time you just took time to listen? I know what you're going to say. Some of you are going to say this. I have to take time to listen. I don't think I've ever heard anything. That's not the point. The point isn't that you're listening to hear. Your point is you're listening because you recognize that you here on this earth are little compared to a mighty God. So why not quiet the little mouth that thinks it's got it all figured out, and say, God, I'm just going to wait before you, and if you got something you want to say, I'm all ears. You see what I'm saying? It's like this, wait upon him. Be quiet for a little bit. Shut the trap. Open the duels. Listen up a little bit. That would be walking humbly before God. I think you get it, right? So this is our vertical response. Walking humbly before God is our vertical response. And the other two, we're like horizontal responses. And you know what I love about Micah 6.8? Is it gives us this beautiful picture of the cross. It really does. Those first two, to do what is right, is like one arm of the cross. To love mercy is the other arm of the cross. It makes up the horizontal beam of the cross. But a walk humbly before our God makes up the vertical beam. I love the Old Testament that this points us right back to Jesus. Yeah. Right? And look, I, you might go, well, that's a little bit of a stretch. And I would say to you it's absolutely zero on the stretch factor. Because Micah 6.8 is just another way to drive home what Jesus taught us in the great commandment. Love God with all of your heart. And love your neighbor, even as you love yourself. This is, nothing, this is nothing new. It was reiterated by Jesus when he drove home the great commandment when he said this. All other mandates hang on this one mandate. Today, you want to honor God? Let this mandate 
to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. Become that one mandate, because it's out of that one mandate that all the other mandates flow. Why? Because it's an issue of the heart. When Jesus said, love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, he wasn't talking about the ritual acts that you do. He was talking about the commitment of the heart. When God answers the people who think that maybe they have to kill their children to please him, and he says, you guys are nuts. No way, people. I'm looking for something that's deeper than all of those things. I'm looking for something that actually makes sense. I want your heart. This mandate that we brought here today is the crux where all other mandates hang on them. It's like the board that you nail to the wall with all of the hooks coming out of it and everything else we're going to talk about it, it kind of hangs on this one mandate. And you rip this one thing out of your heart and it's all gone. It all falls apart. Why? Because God's not interested in what you can do for him. He's interested in your heart surrendered to him. That's where God asks us to live. So today, as we come before him to worship him, guys, let's come before him and let's, let's live out that third part of the mandate, the vertical piece. Let's walk humbly before our Lord today. Can we do that today? Let's walk humbly before him in worship. Let's come before him and say, God, I need you. Right? Let's come before him and as we sing, let's even open up our ears and say, God, what is it that you're wanting to say to me? Let's come before him today and go, God, i got to make decisions all week long. Would you lead and would you guide me? May I be sensitive to your spirit. Why don't you stand with me as we walk humbly before our God. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We're excited about everything that you have done for us. I'm ecstatic that, God, we go into the Old Testament and we see your master plan at work. That when Jesus gives the great commandment, he's reiterating what you've already told to your people. Just in a different phrase, in a different way. That tells me that you've been in complete control from the beginning. And this mandate is something that comes from the days of old. And it was in the days of Jesus. And it lives in my day. And it will live in the days of my children and my grandchildren to come. It's a truth that we can't get away from. Thank you, God, that sacrifice doesn't please you, but a heart surrendered does. Thank you, God, that you don't get wooed and wowed by what our hands can do for you, but you get overjoyed by by when our heart surrenders to you. Thank you for that, God. That levels the playing field. It's not about my speaking abilities or things that I can do publicly that woo or wow people. It's about all of us having one common thing with all of us, and that is this, God, that we all have a heart, and that heart can be offered to you today. So, Lord, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we surrender our heart. May you teach us to love doing what is right. Would you teach us to love mercy? And would you gently, by the power of your Holy Spirit, come alongside of us, take our hand today, and Lord, guide us in what it looks like to walk humbly with our God. Not just before you, but with you. In Jesus' name, amen.